Today, Jack, the show is all about you. You're in full control. Go. First of all, hello to Jack. Good morning, Jack. Let's talk to Jack Duffin. Let's bring in Jack Duffin. In our Westminster studio is Jack Duffin. Good morning, Cleveland. No Paul, he's on holiday in the Alps, so you've got me instead this week. Sorry, guys. Um, I, it's, you, you're going to guess it. It's going to be a lot more chatting about the salary cap and, and details of that sort of stuff. So we've got a fantastic guest on today, Brad, who is a contributor over the cap, which is the best site uh, if you want to know anything contracts-wise, head there. And also the Blitz Network, which is a brown... Uh, Browns Bears based website. How are you doing, Brad? Doing well. How are you doing? Fantastic. It's uh, it's been a good weekend, but uh, it's it's back to chatting ball now. So uh, you've just released an article looking at sort of trading for players in contract years, and is that a good idea? So basically, chat about what the article is about. Sure. So yeah. So thanks for having me on. Uh, so. You know, there was a big Jordan Howard trade that went down this week, or I guess it was big for Bears fans. It really, you know, in my opinion, wasn't really big um, for the NFL, you know, as a whole. Uh, he, he has a, a really passionate fan base in Chicago because, you know, when he first got here, the team was dreadful. Uh, and so he was kind of the whole offense. Um, so I think his value is a bit inflated, you know, with Bears fans. So anyways, he was traded to the Eagles this week. Uh, in return for a 2020 sixth round pick. It has a condition that could make it a fifth round pick. Uh, those conditions are not usually released to the public, uh, but it's generally based on, you know, a percentage of snaps the player will play in the following year or perhaps production level, you know, rushing yards or something of that nature. And so it also kind of sparked a larger conversation about trading for players on expiring contracts. And, you know, in football, or I should say, because I know I'm on a site in London, you know, for American football, but really in any sport, you know, there's always been this negative connotation that comes with trading for players on an expiring contract. You know, the, the general thought is, you know, you're potentially acquiring this guy who could leave in a year. And so all you end up with is one year of production. You know, you give up assets, whether it's draft capital or, you know, a player of your own. And in return, all you get is one year of this guy's services before he might walk. And, you know, smart GMs have kind of flipped that conventional thinking, you know, upside down and recognized, you know, with compensatory picks, you know, which I'll get into, you know, that in reality, you know, a perfect example would also be with the Eagles with the Golden Tate trade. So, you know, exact same scenario. They trade midseason last year and they end up getting eight games of Golden Tate services for a third round pick. So, you know, right there, that looks like an awful trade. But, you know, Golden Tate ends up signing a big contract this offseason and awards the, the Eagles a fourth-round compensatory pick, you know, because of the size of his contract in, with the Giants. So, you know, in reality, what the Eagles ended up doing is kind of just a pick swap. You know, they gave up the 88th overall pick, you know, which was their third-rounder this year, and they're going to get back a pick in the 140 range, you know, with compensatory picks in the end of the fourth round. So, you know, they basically swapped, a, you know, a late third for a, you know, a late, very late fourth. So that's one way to capitalize on this conventional thinking of, you know, you're going to get this guy, he might leave right away. Well, if you're smart and make sure that you, you know, 
sign fewer unrestricted free agents than the amount that you lose to free agency, you know, which the Eagles have done so far, then you're going to get compensation back for that player. So, no, go ahead. No, so it's, it's a really good idea. And obviously, being Browns fans, the days of us enjoying free agency is probably going to be a thing of the past. If you see all the best teams in the NFL, they're never very active, very rarely. Um, you saw the Pats a few years ago went and got uh, Gilmore with a big deal, but usually you don't really bid at all. So this is a great way to sort of turn a pick. You move it back a year, but then you get a, a player usually on a cheap deal for half a season or a full season. So I think there there is real value as long as you're playing the compensatory pick system well and there are some GMs the obvious ones are Howie Rosen and Bill Belichick that just play the system so well they're just printing picks yeah exactly and and, you know a lot of these ideas are really are commonsensical you know but they look like geniuses and and as you mentioned Rosen and Belichick do this better than anyone Uh, and so you know one aspect you know as you mentioned with the Browns and, and you know my Bears were in a similar boat you know you have to be a team that you know is going to be losing more talent than you're bringing in you know, of course, because if the Eagles signed a bunch of guys this offseason, then Golden Tate may have returned them nothing. So you do have to know that's going to happen. But, you know, on top of all that aspect as well, you're also getting a, a very highly motivated player. You know, of course, every NFL player is, you know, going to work hard day in and day out. But the added motivation of playing in a contract year, you know, it, it's, it's real. And so these guys are really going to work their tail off in that contract year, get, you know, play their best football going into free agency, knowing that, you know, while teams do judge players on their whole body of work, you know, in reality, it's the last two years is generally what people look at. And, and, and in particular, that, that one season right before, of course. So, you know, you get a highly motivated player. You get a guy who, like you mentioned, is often on the end of a rookie contract, you know, in Tate's case he was not but he was on a, a discount for you know how productive he is and you know you bring that player in he, he works his tail off and then like you said if you game the system well you really end up losing not all that much value and for a team like the Eagles and, and Patriots if you think that you have a championship roster and that that one or two you know more pieces could push you over the edge you know it's worth going there and doing it and you know the Eagles came up short this year and Tate really wasn't all that productive with them honestly but I mean, he also caught the winning touchdown against the Bears in the first round of the playoffs, you know, to, to win the game. I mean, he basically scored a, you know, a touchdown with a minute left that ended it. So, you know, I think if the Eagles were to look back and say, you know, would we do this trade again, even though Tate really didn't, didn't do all that much in the end of the regular season and just had that one really big touchdown, I, I still think they do it. You know, like I said, they, they basically swapped from late third to late fourth. And, you know, they, they won maybe one more playoff game than they would have without it. And so I think that, that that's value right there. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic concept of doing that. And when people were going mental, um, when the pick was made, it was like, why are you giving up a third for um, Golden Tate? Well, it's not. And it's, it's understanding the, the full level of these deals. When a deal happens, it's looking at the cap consequences and future picks and things like that. So... It's about seeing the whole picture because um, even moves that the Browns make, you sit there and you think, well, why? It doesn't make sense, certain things. But then if you're sat there in the front office and you've got your board where you're trying to build up to those 53 players, you're going to see moves that 
you've got to pair with what you might do in the draft, what might is or isn't there available in the draft. So the big picture, some of these moves make fantastic sense. And there is that growing theme of it's the Eagles or the Patriots that are making those moves. Yeah, and definitely with, with every trade, it's all about the big picture. So another similar example, you know, again, the first round pick that the Cowboys gave up for Amari Cooper was probably a bit high. But, you know, he's not in a contract year. He wasn't in a contract year last year. He's now entering in his fifth-year option year this year. But the Cowboys have made it clear their plans are to keep him long-term. And so another thing that you can do is, you know, the Eagles probably knew they weren't going to keep Golden Tate. But with the Cowboys, you know, by making the trade now, you're pretty much increasing your odds of signing Amari Cooper, you know, exponentially once he is up for his contract. So by being that, you know, incumbent team and having that relationship with the player, you know, they may have wanted to sign him in free agency in 2020. And they may have been one of, you know, however many teams that were, you know, going after him. Now he's been in the building, you know, they've shown, you know, their facilities, they've shown their dedication to him as a player you know, it just gets, it just gives you a leg up in negotiations if you really want that player, you know, in the long term. So there's so many different aspects to look at. And when you look at acquiring a player later in his contract. Yeah. And it's as fans, I think we've, especially I have, I've sort of overvalue players compared to picks because what some of these players go for, and Mari Cooper was obviously, I'd say expensive. I'd say Khalil Mack was expensive. But some of these other players, they go in deals and you think, is that all it takes to get that player? Um, Especially Jordan Howard for a year for a a future sixth or a future fifth is nothing in the grand scheme of it. I assume the Eagles are going to take Duke Johnson, but that hasn't happened. Um, There there is some really cheap deals out there if you're willing to go and make these moves. Yeah, and to speak to Jordan Howard, you know, I'm obviously a fan of his game and there's no question he was productive as a bear. Uh, you know, particularly in those first two years he was in Chicago. But I think another thing that people sometimes misunderstand is, you know, opportunity doesn't equal quality. And so, yes, he had a thousand yards, you know, in his first two seasons. He had 276 carries in his second season. He had like 1,100 yards. Uh, most NFL quarter uh, running backs, excuse me, can get you a thousand yards on 276 carries. So, no disrespect to Jordan Howard. I think he's a fine player. But, you know, the Bears also recognize, I mean, we went from a, you know, dinosaur offense under John Fox when, when Jordan Howard was putting up those big numbers. You know, Jordan Howard is a guy that can't really catch the ball well. You know, he, he can't, you know, if he does catch it, he can't really turn it into any big splash plays. He has a very limited skill set. And it was fine when the offense was, you know, a run-run pass offense, you know, under John Fox. But in my, Matt Nagy's dynamic offense, you can't have a player that's so predictable. And every time Jordan Howard came on the field, the defense basically knew right away, okay, the, the Bears are going to run the ball in this play because why else would Jordan Howard be on the field? And so what he's good at, he's good at. But he, he brings a very limited skill set. And so I really wasn't surprised by the compensation for him, to be quite honest. Um, you know, I'd been saying I thought it was going to be a fifth or sixth, and I got a lot of flack from, from Chicago fans and – and me saying I didn't like him or anything like that. And that wasn't it. I just think that with the way the game is evolving, you know, unfortunately the game is passing him by a bit. Uh, you know, he, he, he brings something to the table that in 2019 and 2020 is just not very valuable. 
No, you, you you do a lot of good work, and I like a lot of the stuff you put out on Twitter. And obviously, being someone that says anything, people have a go. Um, <laughs> as, as I know well enough, um, you, you put out a sensible research point, and then people go mad. And then when it comes to basically exactly how you predicted it coming to real uh no one wants to come back and go actually i probably got that one wrong <laughs> so yeah i've never seen that happen before i'm sure you haven't either <laughs> no i haven't um just get more grief um of uh yeah people don't want to discuss it but uh no so emmanuel Ogba, um is an okay player not a particularly great player on the other end of obviously trading for these players makes sense does trading them off and what sort of I would say you can look at sort of a future maybe if you play the comp pick right fifth or sixth round pick um, if he doesn't make progress do you keep him for that year Um, because he is on a cheap deal or do you weigh up right should we move him and then progress as a team so once again it's looking at the full picture so you know Agba is a fine player uh, and, but it, what it comes down to is, you know, do the Browns, and the same thing that goes with Jordan Howard is, will the Browns maximize what Ogba brings to the table, or could another team do more with him? And, you know, the compensatory pick game, you know, first of all, like I've mentioned, you have to, you know, lose more guys than you bring in. So, you know, if, you, if you're thinking that, you know, that long term and thinking to the 2019 offseason, you know, the end of next year, that has to be in the back of your mind and you have to make sure you do that. Otherwise you end up with nothing. And so, you know, with, with a player like Ogba, if the Browns keep him, then he may get utilized less, you know, especially bringing in Vernon and, and all the additions you've made, you know, he might not land a contract in the off season that warrants you, you know, a fifth or sixth round compensatory pick if he's not playing as much and, and you know, showing his skills on the Browns. So, you know, not only do you move the pick up a year, let's say you trade Ogba for, you know, a 2020 pick instead of a 2021 pick, or even, you know, trade him for a pick this year, you know, you're, you're moving that timetable forward and you're, you're, you're getting value that you know is there. You know, you don't have to worry about the compensatory pick game. It, of course, is great to exploit and, and great to be active in and, and understand. But, you know, there's also that, that comfort of just knowing exactly what you have, you know, with the Bears going back to the Howard thing, he could have walked in this year's free agency after spending another year with the Bears. But just like Ogba, Howard now is going to be the RB3. And if they draft the running back, which many people expect, you know, especially now, he could have been the RB4. So he would have been buried on the depth chart. You know, much like Ogba, he would probably not have a starting role. So he wasn't going to get signed to a big contract after this season playing with the Bears because he wouldn't be doing much of anything. So it comes down to that with Ogba. You know, do the Browns see a role for him? Do the Browns think they can display his talents and he can have a good year that garners a lot of attention from other teams that will want to sign him to a decent-sized contract, you know, if they've determined they're no longer interested in his services, you know, that will bring back the comp pick? Or are they going to say, let's just cut bait, let's just get what we can now? You know, like I said, you can get a pick two years before 2021 if you get a draft pick this year or even, you know, one year before, you know, the potential compensatory pick in 2021 if you trade for a 2020 draft pick. So it really is a full picture thing with Ogba. And it's, does he bring to the table here, you know, the value here that he could bring elsewhere, or should we just move on and get whatever asset we can for him now? 
Yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting question on that. And who knows, his, his production could increase if he's only seeing 30% of snaps. But if he's only seeing 30% of snaps, teams might sit there and go, are we really going to pay this guy? He couldn't do it with 60% of snaps. He looks good with 30. How much are you going to give your third pass rusher on a team? So I think it's certainly a um, question that they'll go with. I think they, the move's going to be made. And it might be an interesting case of, contract year player for contract year player because you've got Lee at um, the Jets who is linebacker it's sort of it almost makes too much sense that trade um, both teams get something maybe the Browns have to throw in a small pick um, if they want to force it through or a pick swap um, to make that deal it just we each get a contract year player and then we can decide what we want to do yeah I agree with you I think Ugba for Duran Lee makes a ton of sense I mean, both teams, you know, just brought in players that, you know, kicked them down the depth chart. So, you know, Olivier Vernon, you know, he's more of an outside linebacker, but he's your number two pass rusher, you know, uh, opposite of Miles Garrett. And that kind of moves Ugba down the line. And with Deron Lee, you know, the Jets just signed, uh, I'm blanking, the guy from the Ravens. Mostly. Uh, mostly excuse me. Uh, you know, to be their middle linebacker. So he also now is kicked down the depth chart. But, you know, the Browns could certainly use another inside linebacker. And the Jets absolutely could use a pass rusher on the outside. And so that's an example right there of, you know, allowing these players to, you know, demonstrate their skills, you know, on a team where they make more sense and they're going to have more opportunity. And like you mentioned, Ogba looked better and more productive when his snaps were limited and he didn't have that larger role. But, you know, there's so many factors and, you know, different teams do different things. And I guess funnily enough, uh, Greg Williams is now with the Jets, so – I guess Ogba would end up with the same defensive coordinator he just had this past season. Um, but that trade does make a lot of sense. You know, as you mentioned, both teams get kind of the same thing in a former high draft pick who didn't quite pan out and become the player they expected. They swap, they get guys in contract years. And, you know, if it works out, then, as I mentioned, they're the first team at the table to try to resign him. If it doesn't work out, you know, they hope the guy goes somewhere else and signs a contract and maybe lands them a compensatory pick. So, that trade makes a lot of sense. You know, I think there's a couple other linebackers around um, that are going to be free agents after this season. You know, some older guys, not really rookies. There's Wesley Woodyard, you know, from the Titans. He's getting up there in age, but he's a productive linebacker and, you know, has been a contributor with the Broncos and now with the Titans and, and is a very solid middle linebacker. Um, you know, so there, there's some options out there for sure. You know, the Patriots with the Landon Roberts. Uh, you know, they just drafted middle linebacker last, last year. So, again, a guy who's getting kicked down, you know, the depth chart, you know, he'll be, a, he'll be a free agent following this season as well. He could come in and be productive. And, you know, I'm not saying you give them Emmanuel Ugba, but, you know, find a way to bring in more guys that they're stopgaps. You know, they're one-year stopgaps, and you're, you're going to find a long-term solution later on. But you acquire a guy for a cheap contract now. You know, he'd be owed less than a million. He'll be owed $2 million, so not a huge, you know, cap expenditure. And then you can see what you have from there. No, it's, it's definitely something you could do. The advantage you've as well got with Lee is you can enact that fifth-year option too. So it'd be pricey, but um, you can then just see if it works out, then you keep him for that fifth-year option and you've got two years on a player. So I think it's definitely some interesting moves. And I, I think we'll see a lot more of these um, contract-year players getting moved. I think trades, um, I don't know how the numbers have moved, but they seem more 
common now. It sort of seems acceptable to trade big players and things like that. Whereas in the past, you just couldn't imagine Mac, OBJ, those style of players moving because teams did everything they can to keep them. And now there seems to be a greater understanding of just paying these players massive amounts of money isn't actually as valuable as going after the picks um, and restocking with cheap talent through the draft. Yeah, so you made two great points there. So first, you know, with the fifth-year option with the Ron Lee, you know, the one tricky part with, with those is that, you know, May 7th, you know, is the deadline for when the team has to either exercise or decline to pick up that fifth-year option. So, you know, the Browns would either, either need to make that move to get Deron Lee, and they would unfortunately have to make that decision about whether they want to exercise that option or not in, in about, what, five weeks from, from today. So, you know, that, that's one aspect to it as well. But as you mentioned, it is smart to potentially get two years of control on a guy, you know, and then you really know what you have. And, you know, you're also welcome to rescind that option, you know, right up until the 2020 season would begin. So, you know, you have that placeholder. You can try to negotiate a contract or you can just end up backing out of the whole, you know, the whole situation. And then as to the second point you made, which I think is, is spot on and is really what has sparked, you know, so many things is we're seeing NFL teams making trades that, that we've never seen before. And, you know, of course, with the Browns, with Odell Beckham Jr., which, you know, in my opinion, I don't know if that happens without the Antonio Brown trade before it. And, you know, you mentioned the Khalil Mack trade. You know, a little bit different there because they just didn't want to pay him, whereas, you know, Antonio and Odell had already been paid. And I guess the team just wanted to cut bait on the person, you know, or whatever the situation was there. But it does. It opens up a whole new market. And, you know, I think it's an unfortunate aspect of all sports. But, you know, us fans do have power in that, you know, GMs, unfortunately, you know, have to think about and have to cater to, you know, how is this going to be perceived in the public? And they shouldn't. Uh, you know, and, and Bel Belichick certainly doesn't, but but some of them have to because, you know, if, if you make moves that, you know, people just perceive as dumb and bad and everyone's bashing you, you know, NFL franchises have to appease their fans. And even if the fans are wrong, which they more often than not are, you know, that, that still is a consideration. So when you see moves like this happening, you know, with the Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham, you know, with the, with the Giants and Steelers retaining huge dead money hits, you know, on their cap and moving on from, I mean, superstar players, uh, both of which weren't even on particularly expensive contracts. You know, Odell Beckham just signed his, you know, five-year, $90 million deal. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, they're saying Julio Jones is about to get an extension for over 20 a year. And I think that going forward the next couple of years, we're going to see wide receivers get more and more money, you know, especially with what just happened this past offseason. So, you know, Odell Beckham now I think is on a pretty good deal. Uh, Antonio Brown definitely, you know, he got a significant pay bump to go to Oakland. But, I mean, his deal was a steal, especially in those, those last couple of years with the Steelers because they don't really backload like other teams do. So what it does is these trades open up, yeah, you know, your team can go out and make a move that previously may have been perceived as – you know, questionable or risky or whatever word you want to use, but now there's a precedent and now you can point to other areas and say, well, you know, teams are doing it, you know, it's, it's happening and we no longer believe in sunk costs, which I've spoken about recently. And we're no longer going to, you know, just hold on to something that just isn't working just for the sake of doing it. And just for the sake of, you know, winning the public perception. And so, I mean, I think we're going to see potentially with Rosen, you know, in Arizona could be another one where a team, trades up for a quarterback and the following year takes a quarterback again 
and moves on from their, you know, their supposed franchise quarterback after just one season in which he had the worst offensive line in football and maybe the worst weaponry in football. But what those moves do is, that, yeah, it allows other GMs to do things that they previously were probably afraid to do. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. The um, the one thing that's going to be fascinating when it comes out is what the reworked OBJ deal with the Browns looks like, because apparently that's in the pipeline and also a new deal for Vernon. So um, who knows what they're going to be. Uh, there'll be a pay rise for OBJ. Um, it'll add in a load of guaranteed money, um, but it is certainly going to be interesting. And, and it, it makes it exciting because moves that would never be the case suddenly the phone goes off and someone's been traded and you're just like, hold on, let me just go check that from some more sources because it just seems <laughs> mad. Um, and But no, it's, it's there. A team can give up anything they want. It, basically, every player other than a few elite quarterbacks is on the market. If you want them, there is a price point you can get. Probably you look maybe five to ten quarterbacks are off the market. Everyone else... It's fair game. So if someone picks up the phone and offers three first round picks for Miles Garrett, John Dorsey is going to go, all right, then we'll take that. <laughs> um, it, everyone is available and it, it's crazy. Yeah, you're right. You know, there's no longer, you know, quote unquote, untradeable players, as you said, outside of maybe a couple elite quarterbacks. Uh, but even there, I mean, you know, we could, we could see something, you know, if a team you know, like the Rams, you know, believes that Jared Goff is, you know, not that I'm calling him an elite quarterback, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a team, you know, and I'll be honest, even maybe the Bears, if they determine after a couple of years that their, you know, top top end pick, you know, is not as good as he needs to be in order to, to warrant, you know, a $25 million a year contract. I mean, we could even see those guys on the move. And I think a Rosen deal would, would again, be a kind of precedent you're setting where, just because you take a guy that high doesn't mean you're just going to hamstring yourself and just force the fit when there's no fit. And I mean, that's kind of what the Jaguars did with Blake Bortles and it blew up in their face. I mean, they didn't give him a huge contract, but he, he didn't deserve a second contract. And everyone knew that except for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, they end up giving him the deal and a year later he's gone. So, you know, it, again, I, even more so than, you know, wide receivers like Odell and Antonio, I mean, trading your supposed franchise quarterback in a Jared Goff could, could look insane. You know, it could look mad, like you said. But but if teams understand, as they do, you know, better than fan bases, that, you know, this guy, he was great for, for a rookie contract. And I think that both, you know, I would argue Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky and others are certainly worth what they're getting paid right now. But, you know, are they worth $25 million a year and, and kind of limiting what you can do in the rest of your roster? I, Probably not. Uh, and, and so, you know, we'll see. I, I want to, you know, give those guys maybe another year to, you know, see if they can take that next step. But teams have to make those tough decisions. And, you know, the best the best thing for them is to have other teams make those tough decisions so that they can then point to those and say, well, we're not the first to do it. So, you know, we're just following a trend. Yeah, no, it'd have to be Howie Roseman, surely. It gets more than two first-round picks for Carson Wentz, trades him off, and then drafts another first-round quarterback. And uh, it'd be an absolute genius to do it because why not? At the end of the day, if if you're getting efficiency at that level from a quarterback in on a rookie deal, they have to play at a much better level when you um, move them onto that full deal because you're having to cut, say, 
what about 10 percent of the cap so if you're looking this year you're saying right 18 million we need to make saving somewhere else let's cut two three players to pay for that and no actually let, let's just move him on get two maybe even three first round picks it might be the biggest trade we've ever seen maybe not with Wentz's injury record but let's just say two firsts and a second and a third maybe trade him out and then just go replace him next year um it'd be nuts and if anyone's going to do it it would be Harry Roseman it certainly would be um and yeah I mean and you obviously would hope that you're trading with a team you know you would assume trading with a team that has a really high draft pick and I think, you know, it's interesting these next couple of years, you know, Wentz is another example, but with all these guys that are, you know, due for a, their second contract, I mean, in 2019, there's people already raving about two quarterbacks uh, in Justin Herbert from Oregon and, of course, Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama. And then 2020, I mean, I think that Trevor Lawrence, if he continues on the path he's played so far at Clemson, I mean, I think teams are going to be fighting over the, the first overall pick in that draft. And, and they should be. And, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the, for, for the hypothetical, probably not going to happen. But, you know, if the Eagles can trade Carson Wentz for, right, two firsts, you know, from a really bad team and, you know, that has no one around him. So, sure, they'll get Wentz, but they still might not be a great team and can somehow find their way into one of those really high picks, maybe top five, and then say, all right, let's double down, you know, with our fifth pick. Let's package the other first we got for next year, maybe the second as well, to go from five to one or something like that. And take a Trevor Lawrence, who you get a fresh rookie contract quarterback, you know, that you basically hit the reset button and do the exact same thing and continue to pay, you know, offensive line, defensive line and, and weaponry, you know, in my opinion, probably in that order. But and, and yeah, and just kind of see if you can do it again. But, you know, the way I look at it, the kind of the adage I have is if you have a rookie contract quarterback, he can be in the kind of 10 to, to 16 range if you're looking at 32 quarterbacks in the league and he's totally worth his contract, you know, it, totally, you know, maybe, maybe 10 to 20 range. If you're going to pay a quarterback 20, $25 million or more, he needs to be a top eight quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he can be eight. He doesn't have to be, you know, the best, but he needs to be a guy that not just doesn't lose you games, but wins you games. And I think that Goff and, and Trubisky, you know, are guys that, they're great game managers. You know, they can be smart at times and, and limit, well, limit turnovers sometimes, but not all the time. But they don't necessarily lose you games, but they're not really putting a team on your back and winning you games. And if you're paying a guy $25 million, he needs to be, you know, bailing out a defense two, three times a year and, and, and you know, single-handedly winning you games. And so that's, you know, that's what, that's what that price is for. No, it's it's fantastic point. And I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on. Plug yourself. Where can people find you on Twitter? Thank you so much for having me on. So you can find me at, at Brad OTC. Uh, and, I, and I write for overthecap.com and, and do research there. And I'll be posting articles soon. And I also write for at the Blitznet, uh, which is a, you know, my articles are, are, you know, for the whole NFL. So if you're Browns fans or just a fan of, you know, anything related to the salary cap, it, it is a Bears website for, you know, the other writers. But, I, you know, I, I post, you know, once a week about things that, you know, are relevant to any NFL fan. No, thank you so much for coming on. Have a fantastic end of the weekend. Um, and no, um, make sure you go and follow Brad on Twitter. There's lots of interesting points he makes. Um, so, yeah, go become a little bit smarter. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Oh, cha-ching, cha-ching, oh.